You're wearing a band shirt of a band you're not the biggest fan of. Yet you like a couple of tracks, and the thing was cheap enough in HMV. You find no fault with the group's sound, and after a quick Google of their politics, you took it to the register. The cashier nodded and smiled and told you it was sick, so you had some validation. You're holding a crate of lager that was reasonable in cost and was handily located near the entrance of the supermarket. You noted how handy that was, so you didn't have to mire through aisles of things you didn't want to buy. You reckoned that this lager was the safest choice, as you've never seen anyone turn their nose up at it before, but you acknowledge you haven't the pickiest of friends. You snorted when the cashier asked if you wanted a bag, as you don't carry crates of cans in plastic bags. The bus ride over to the house wasn't very eventful, but an awkward nod to someone you had went to school with. You didn't know them very well, but you seemed to remember that they were pleasant enough, and you never shared a crossword. He was with a girl you didn't find to be particularly attractive, yet was rather statuesque in her own individual way. As you step through the gate and approach the front door, you feel a lack of atmosphere. No music plays and no chatter can be heard. You let yourself in and see the attendees sitting about on sofas or on the ground as space allows. You see one girl nursing a can of Tizer and another a glass of milk with a bar of chocolate acting as a stirrer. There's a lad in the windowsill breathing onto the window pane and writing swear words in the mist. As it fades, he breathes and starts again. You figure it best to have the cans in the fridge, so you head to the kitchen. You'd never been here before, but it's hard not to find the kitchen. Am I early? You ask yourself. It's the worst to be early. I should have texted someone, you think. I could have lingered by the news kiosk in the supermarket, but people might have thought you were weird. There's one person in the kitchen, looking at a sleeping dog expectantly, but he doesn't hear your gag about letting them lie. Your words might well have been a summer's breeze, or a scolding from a dead relative. You open the fridge to find wedges of rotting vegetables, with cans of soft drink embedded into the gaps. You wonder where they're keeping the milk. You head back to the living room with two cans, one for you, and one for the lucky individual you're going to engage in conversation. The lad in the windowsill has moved his face closer to the dripping pane, as if he's crying himself. He's hit a can by someone on the carpet, but he's just intent on smoking an unlit fag. Not take us. You notice the TV is on mute with the rolling news. You think it'd be a good idea to put some music on, liven up the place. It's that awkward initial stage, isn't it? Give it a few hours and there'll be more fingerings than the Nuremberg trials. Go over to the speakers and find the aux cable. What will people like? What will get people going? Something dancey without being too lipstick commercially. Of course. You cue it up and plug in the aux. You sit with your can of lager, its partner sitting untouched a few yards from where you are on the carpet. Are people into it? You wonder. Someone stands up and walks over to the speakers. He must be too shy to ask what it is. It's pretty niche, you guess. He found it on a blog spot a few years ago. He pulls out the aux cable, then walks over to you with your phone. This is not your party, he tells you. And you know that he's right. 
but you can't work up enough to ask him the full address for an Uber. No one looks at you, bar the lad in the windowsill. You know what he has written. You know what drips there. My morning was spent by the pond in the park, staring into the water after wondering if I would look more beautiful in the water, as I felt more beautiful in the water. In the water I felt a caress I've never attained on dry land, but now I can't go back to the swimming pool. I watched an old lady feed bread to the ducks, but she didn't acknowledge my assertion that bread was actually unhealthy for ducks. She just told me that my trousers were unfastened. After a pause, the conversation ended. Going back to the pond, the acrid film on the water proved to be unflattering. I looked better in the toilet bowl, truth be told. I blamed the council. I thought about calling them to say a drowned old woman had been found, but let her be. She looked like she could be able to swim. I then made for the laundress by the park, but upon passing the pavilion, I noticed a poster with a picture of a dog on it. It reminded me of the dog I had as a child, Percy, a chocolate lab which hated me. I awoke one morning in my childhood to find Percy standing over me on my bed. He wore no expression in the dark, did not pant or slobber, just looking at me. I knew then that dogs had no souls. He had known I was dreaming about him, riding him like a horse and telling him he could never see his mother again. Percy, I said, you can never see your mother again. We had previously been on bad terms after I lied to my parents about the mess on our front doorstep the week before. He grew to resent me. Percy, why do you hate me? I had asked in the dark. My eyes adjusted into his blank face above me. He had made no sound. He ran away the week after. Father said he'd be happier on his own. Then I noticed the contact details, a mobile phone number, Lisa, Lisa, what a beautiful name, like the painting, like the summer breeze. I saw her standing before me, naked, heralded by cherubim on an oyster's shell back afloat the pond. Lisa, how sad she must have felt. Lisa, with her sad blue eyes downcast and drowned in tears, trailing down her tender cheeks. Lisa. I felt a sense of responsibility. I cast aside my earlier afternoon plans of calling the Samaritans in a German accent and sent about looking for the dog. After a perimeter search of the park proved to be fruitless, I chanced upon a golden retriever snuffling about a lonely birch tree. 
It's someone who was on the phone telling the other how they wished their laugh was less common. She was very involved in trying a number of laughs on her friend. Some skittering, some snorting. I picked up the dog as she was pretending to drink a full bottle of cola with her nose pinched. The dog seemed grateful for the rescue. I didn't go to college, I served my time as a tea boy in the features desk with the sadly now defunct Pickering Trumpet. It was a publication subsidised by the local colliery, and as such the food section featured favoured sandwich fillings, and the music section secured unparalleled access to the colliery brass band who, though they only knew five songs, knew them very adeptly. The features desk was an enviable post as we still had news back in those days and features provided a palatable counterpoint and although I keep on about desks you must bear in mind the circumstances of the time so that there were no desks but sanitised lathes. The editor would wear an apron and would chide us for smoking over our typewriters after an ash stain on the type had rendered an article regarding Stanley Baldwin's visit to the East Riding Pleasure Gardens libelous a, a number of years before. Resultingly, a, a grant from the county council had to be commissioned to remove the, the graffito from Ponweed Bridge that stated Baldwin Chuffs Baldwins. This had been the first such act of graffiti in the parish since an anonymous artist had coined the portmanteau. Extending the franchise would be suffragious and had daubed it all about the local women's institute. Although one must decry the individual's methods, one had to admire such literary ingenuity.
Hello and alright. Uh, my name is Barry Inverness and I've been a child rearing expert for three years now. Uh, the happy father to a happy, healthy five-year-old son. And as you may have heard, the disputed parents of a number of alleged children in the alleged West region. I've started this show on the advice of a probation officer and any donations will not be spent on cat. Wink, wink. Right, anyways... Here's the first letter. Uh, it's from uh, Julie in Stainburn. Uh, right, what a shithole. Right, uh, dear Barry, my husband's brother has recently moved closer to home and we are seeing a lot more of him than we previously had. He is a homosexual and is very obvious in the way that he is. He uses very strong hand gestures and at a recent dinner at our home, he was very interested to know which of my co-workers I don't get on with at my office. After I told him that I get on with everyone, he laughed and called me a lion cow. Uh, he then slapped my arm and told me he was just messing about. I didn't appreciate being called a liar in front of my children, however... A week or so after, I took him aside and asked him politely to dial down all the flamboyance. He agreed, but this just meant that he instead referred to his boyfriend as his paramour. What should I do? My husband is a man's man, but he seems reluctant to do anything. He said that it's impossible to influence a child's sexuality, but I'm not so sure. I have a ten-year-old son and I don't want any ideas in his head just before he reaches that difficult time in his life. Right, so that's from Julian Stainburn. Yeah, just, just, just tell him to pack it in. Just behave in that. Uh, not just for the, not, not just for the influence on your, on, on, on your bare life, but more the fact that he'd get on your fucking tits. You know, but but as far as any negative influence over your child goes, like I mean, listen, aye, yeah, yeah, it is aye. Right, um, uh, this is from Sophie in Siddick. Right, dear Barry, my infant spends far too much time with the family budgie. My husband insists on keeping it when it's been nothing but a menace. I've caught my son imitated it many times will he start to think he's a bird should i make high places off limit to him i feel so frustrated and powerless because my husband is very attached to the budgie because his father caught it in the wild so there is no chance he would get rid of it i feel like our marriage is at stake please help right so that's uh, sophie and siddick Right, Sophie. Uh, well, listen. If he falls off a high spot, thinking he can fly, then he's just a certified divvy from the off like. Fuck me. I mean, surely if he thought he was a fucking bird that could fly, he'd start off on the ground. You know, you know strong surviving that. Right. Um, uh, this is from John in. Hang on. <laughs> Caught it in the wild. <laughs> I'm no bird fancier, but I think you've got a fucking pigeon or something. Unless your father-in-law was a fucking African explorer. What's it like? What's it like when you have a plate of chips? 
What noise does it make? It's like, gah, gah, gah. You know? <laughs> what noise does a budgie... What noise does a fucking budgie make? What is a fucking budgie? Look, he just... He's given, he given us more fucking questions and answers here, so... Um, just smack the lad about a bit. Right, hi. Um, this is from John in Harriston. Uh, dear Barry... After an argument with my partner of four months, I agreed to spend more time with my eight-year-old son. I took him to the pub and the betting shop every other day and the regulars took a shine to the boy, as did I. I didn't let him pick any horses, but I let him play the bandits that took 20 peas. One evening, on returning from the betting shop lavatories, I found my son had made a bet with the pound I had lent him for pop at the corner shop next door. To start with, I was severely wound up. He had backed a rank outsider in the 12.30 at Newmarket with unremarkable lineage and no previous wins. But when the horse came in first by a nose, this turned to joy. I let him pick a few more horses and everyone was a comfortable winner. I had never felt closer to my son. The next day, I returned by myself and the regular punters were very disappointed. They had expected me to come back with my son and have another day of profit. One punter even came up to me and offered me £10 for the unsupervised use of my son. What do you think? Would it be wrong to make money off my son's picks? Right, so that's uh, John in Harriston. Uh, I read in paper to the like it cost like two hundred odd grand or something to raise a child over a lifetime. You know what I mean? Can you fucking imagine that? And that's 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 about what you get off the government. That's what's due to you, and that it like. What a fucking load of coin that is. You know, if our Aiden could get a fucking tune of a harmonica up his snout, it'd be on Britain's Got Talent telling the fucking country's mum's got dementia in her fucking heartbeat. Put him to fucking work. Mr and Mrs Culkin, you know, we call him Macaulay Culkin's parents, they're, they're fucking right, like. Put him to bloody work. Buy your own chinger, you sponges, like. Right, that's good. <laughs> Should have got surrounded by that. <laughs> uh, this is from Charlotte in Great Broughton. Charlotte in Great Broughton. Dear Barry, I have tried reaching you through Facebook and the mobile number you gave me and got no answer. So when I saw you were doing this show on Facebook, I thought it best to try here. Um, I'm sure you must have heard that I have recently given birth to a beautiful baby girl, a recent runner-up in the News and Star Bonnie Baby competition, and I'm sure you must know that it is yours. You have left me no choice but to seek legal advice. Ay, what a fucking load of shite, eh? It's a well-known fact that if you ask a bird mid-sow if she's ready to be a single mother, you are asking verbal consent to have no part of raising it. That's no matter how erotically it was said. I mean, what what fucking happened to this country, like? You know what I mean? I tell you what, it's the Jeremy Kyles and the fucking Judge Rim jobs that have put these daft ideas in these viewers' age, like. If they were fucking grafting, 
of a daytime, there'd be none of this. You know what I mean? Ah, I was fucking sick of this. Like, right. Um, good night. If you've got any more letters for us, um, fuck off. 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 I had spoken to Lisa on the phone. She told me her address and didn't seem too perturbed by my request for her to wear something nice for when I came. She seemed a lovely lady. Her voice was like new leather or a siren getting over a cold, all sultry and alluring. Even the way she paused for long periods was enticing. Golden Retrieve was a yielding thing. I got him to wear my jacket like a person, but then I got fed up after a bit and took it off him. Upon arriving at Lisa's, I was saddened by the splendour of her home. She must have done some awful things for the PVC in that veranda. In once of a bell, I rapped upon the veranda window and welcomed the sight of Lisa. I couldn't remember if she was the same as I had seen in my reverie, but I accept that I might be a bit scatty at times. She wore nothing nice but a confused expression. That's not my dog, she told me. No. No, I said. Then why did you bring it here, she asked. I thought she must be sad, I replied. It took her a while to process my altruism. No, 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 it, it was a black and white photo, I persisted, even though I had conceded that it wasn't her dog. I am a terrible liar. No, it wasn't, she said. You're just having a laugh, aren't you? No, 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 I'm not. Get off my step, she had shouted at me. I told her that I had once had a dog too, but it didn't like me very much. But she was too busy locking the door. Why couldn't she understand that I needed to see her happy? I took the golden retriever to a bus stop, but felt guilty about abandoning it. I found a discarded ticket that seemed to have its return journey unredeemed, and tucked it into its collar. It seemed nonplussed. I wondered if its owner in the park was still laughing. I walked back towards town, and popped into carpet right and told them about my situation. The store clerk seemed bemused and offered some swatches. I rubbed each shade of brown against the top of my lip until I found the right one. You know, that's the second most sensitive part of the body. After the... genitals. I ordered two rolls, enough for a box room, some adhesive and a cutter. I asked him where the lavatory was. He looked at me with a face like an unfinished dinner and gestured to the back. When I re-emerged, he looked truly full, though I couldn't see so well from behind the creatively crude eye holes. I heard him rush to straighten a wobbling display after my makeshift tail caught against it. It was something to get used to, having a tail.
going to rub one out, eh? Good for you, bro. Um, who are you? Ah, I'm just around, you know. I got a lot going on. Well, what the hell are you doing in my bedroom? Easy, bro. I startle. So, you're going to put some porno on and think of those beauties in your jock? <laughs> Boy, I know I do. What a guy needs sometimes, eh? You need to leave. Oh, come on, man. I'll call the police. <sighs> the police. What do you mean? You know jet fuel doesn't burn hot enough to melt steel beams. The fuck are you on about? You're only using 10% of your brain and only two of your eyes, buddy. Get out of my house! So, you gonna, gonna rub one out? I could get some beers, talk some zeitgeist. I'll say it one more time, and God knows why I haven't clubbed your face in. Uh, I'm pretty big, though, bro. What? You see me, 6'6", six, six, wingspan of a full-grown condor. Oh. I'm a creature is what I'm saying, bro. So, you gonna you gonna rub one out? I suppose I better. Beauty, give me an insight into it, bro. Okay, it's um, I'm enjoying it, and mm. okay, it's good. I, I I'm enjoying it, and it's fine. I think it was the, the Windsors that did Diana. I suppose it might have been. My first interview was with the head of the local Rotarian Club, a one Geoffrey Moss, who had overseen the donation of a new canary to the local colony. I was to draw 
parallels with the bright yellow plumage of the bird to the bright future of the region's economy. We, we, we didn't call them puff pieces at the time as the permissive society had yet to come to pass. It turned out a year later that the canary had to be retired after it was discovered to be asthmatic. It passed away in the summer, eventually succumbing to avian flu. In the autumn, Moss himself had succumbed to that same disease. Their relationship was never questioned. I was subsequently tasked with covering the funeral service which was attended by numerous local business owners, eminent parish luminaries and Moss's faithful golden retriever, Wendell. Moss, being in a state of feverish delirium as he faced his last days, had proposed that the dog be buried with him, as the ancient pharaohs had been buried with their servants, still alive to serve them in the afterlife. Moss's widow had, however, objected upon hearing the wishes of her dying husband at the reading of his last will and testament, yet had consented to a compromise where the dog would lead the congregation in a chorus of barking as the coffin was committed to the earth. The local people of Pickering are a superstitious lot and the bereaved had feared a reprisal for not honouring the last will of the deceased. The canine had to be issued with a guard, armed with long coshes and was lathered in lard to facilitate a potential escape should members of the congregation decide to haul the dog to the grave to join its former master in the next world. The proceedings went without incident, however, and the event made for rather uninteresting copy. The chorus of barks had not been much more than a chorus of whimpers after the dog had been struck by stage fright. The memorial service across town unveiling the plaque in honour of the fallen canary had proved to be the far greater spectacle, and I cursed my luck. Today I put it down to the lack of nous that comes with inexperience. The church back to Lisa's house was oppressive in the heat of the carpet. It could bring no joy to the passers-by, with the parents pushing prams with a non-salert grip, and the older folks shaking their heads and referring to generations. Perhaps they may call the council. I could only raise a titter from the youngsters thereabouts. One even booted me up the tail end, perhaps expecting a chase. They wouldn't know that that was the first human contact I'd had since the new regime. I had attempted to finish the journey in all fours, so as to acclimatise myself to quadrupedal movement for the big moment, yet packed in until I'd reached a drive. I assumed the position outside a veranda door and scratched at the glass, whining like a penitent puppy. Lisa appeared, only to steadily disappear again. A fleeting glimpse of Lisa, manna from heaven, an oasis in the deepest desert. I couldn't scamper away with my tail between my legs, I had to sit and be patient. I contemplated my own reflection in the glass. Was I beautiful now? I wondered. 
The fancy took me to knock my own crotch for a period, but my legs were a bit too knackered to yield after all that walking. Then the door reopened, and a different shape approached. Much like my own reflection, a chocolate lab but on confident hind legs, in vivid pallor. The eyes this time were cartoonish in size and portent, the mouth bent in a frozen grin. She began to vamp and wave, covering her mouth with her hand to laugh or coquettish when her antics drew a reaction from me. I knew there was a human inside. I stood up and I backed away. I'm wearing something nice, she teehed. Percy, I whispered. Percy. And I knew once more that dogs have no souls. It's warm now. It was not, and now it is. I feel well. It is difficult. I am familiar. I cannot run. Soon it will be cold. I have pissed myself. <laughs>